And welcome to episode seven of the Politics and Bros podcast. Howell, how are you? Hey, Pete. I'm good. Is this thing on? Can you hear me? I can hear you great, man. You sound wonderful. You sound like a man. I'm a man. I'm a grown man. I'm 40 years old. <laughs> I hope I hope our listeners get that joke. Ugh. Um, What's up? How you been? I've been good. I've been doing all right. Uh, kind of a, I don't even remember what happened over this weekend because, yeah. Oh, my wife's uh, work had their holiday party on Friday night at oh. Ta- at Tao Nightclub in Chicago, which was not as wow. it was it was fun. I had a good time, but uh, the club's nice, good food, and I wish we could have stayed later. We were only there till about nine or so, and we were back home by nine thirty. That is pretty early. That is well, pretty early. Well, both uh, the older kids were at the grandparents' house, and uh, only uh, the baby was here, so we had to be. Uh, he gets up early, so gotcha. Yeah, well, you lived it up for like two hours. So yeah, it was great. Congratulations, great. A lot of new, kids. New year, new new year, new you. Yeah, a lot um, of a lot of youngsters at that at that town nightclub. Yes, place. yes, yeah. That was similar to my wife's um, uh, company party. Um, it felt like a wedding. There were lots of youngins drinking and dancing, and mm-hmm. we felt old, but we made it late, later than you. So I guess we win. <laughs> Um, fact but uh yeah so a lot's happening in the world huh yeah it seems like uh since the last uh iran emergency pod um you know things just keep on trucking yeah so um before we jump into our news of the day and the meat of the the show um wanted to let our listeners know that you know we we've been doing some detailed uh consumer research on our uh, <laughs> on our podcast, our performance, you know, we we take feedback seriously here, and and yes, vi- via do. via um, submissions of what from WhatsApp, we've we've heard some feedback that um, you know our 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 to- our conversation um, is probably too much in agreement, and that it's uh, not necessarily quote unquote fair and balanced and it's too anti-Trump. Um, so I would first just like to say that, uh, you know, what we're trying to do here is not necessarily be fair and balanced. I mean, I think what, what I certainly approached this podcast from was a mentality of, I have some executive branch expertise. I have, it's a kind of politics is a passion of myself and I can speak from some position of authority here. Um, and I think similarly for you, uh, with the legislate, with the background in Congress, um, um, you also felt like you could bring some some expertise to the table. Uh, there was no sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, indication that we were going to be, um, you know, talking about the pros and cons of Trump's policies and and you know how they factor in the world today. And so, you know, for those people who expected fair and balanced, um, I will say that, you know, that is not necessarily what we're trying to do here. Um, but hopefully we can provide sort of insightful commentary on what we are seeing happen in the world. Did you have any uh, comments for those, the feedback that, you know, we're not fair and balanced. Um, you know, we tend to agree and we're too anti-Trump. Well, I think, you know, we've discussed this before that we, we talk on 
everything we talk about and everything that we, our opinions are based on principles. They're not based on party affiliation necessarily. They're not based on, you know, some other extraneous, you know, BS. So right. I, I think people need to take a step back and understand that this is not meant to be an exercise in, uh, you know, supporting one politician over another. It's how we see the world and how it was worked in our experience and what we've done in our lives and our careers and how we think those, how the projection of history is going at this point um, and into the future. But, yeah. you know, it's not that I, you know, it's not that I don't want to tout Republican and, and or conservative um, victories. I just don't see those happening um, in my estimation of being a Republican. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. If people want to quibble over that, if I the people want to compare us to to Rachel Maddow or whatever our our feedback was, uh fine. That's I I don't care. Um at the end of the day. Uh It's a first for you. It is a first. I mean, am I going to point out, you know, problems I see with liberals? Absolutely. I mean, if I I would happily do that, but that's not where we are right now. We're dealing with a you know, a supposed Republican administration and that's where we have now. If if this was four or five years back, I'm sure we'd be bitching and complaining about uh, the Obama administration. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think it's a fallacy to think that you, you, um, you have to have someone, if we're we're talking about principles, right? It's not a fallacy to say you have to look at it from a pro-Trump side and a anti-Trump side, because um, that can be the Trump entity itself can be largely in the wrong. Um, It's kind of like uh, arguing, well, you need a pro side and a a con side for white nationalism. (laughs) Um, You know, does that make it fair and balanced if you have a white nationalist uh, talking to someone who is against white nationalism? Are you saying we're going to have Richard Spencer on on our show? (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Yes. And I plan to punch him. Um, Nice. (laughs) In fact, that was me. Um, yeah, no. So I think, I think I made this point to you is that just because we may come off as anti-Trump, it's not for the sake of being anti-Trump. It's because we are seeing yeah. things that violate principles and 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 norms that we believe yeah. are in America's best interest, and that is really what we're trying to do is say this is how we've seen america work and and what's made us great and we're seeing these things be violated and if that happens to be overlap with a lot of what trump is doing then you know that's why we're here to talk about it um to maybe hopefully put it in a way that people kind of can digest and 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 think about and just have that discussion um you know i think we certainly don't want to be seen as parroting um, you know, media talking points. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, hopefully those people who gave us the, that feedback can, can give us a second chance and, and, you know, understand where we're coming from. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I've gone, I've gone tit for tat with people on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and they, you know, it's usually my friends and they talk about, well, what about when, President Obama did X, Y, or Z, and I'm, I always say that's all well and good, and I'm happy to talk about that. But President, but President Obama is not currently president of the United States. Right. 
we have to talk about the here and the now. We have to talk about what's going on right now in front of us, not what happened five, ten years ago, and how we should, you know, whether or not that deserved a pass or didn't right. deserve a pass. Right. Yeah. So I want people to keep things in a little bit more perspective than I think they than they are. Yeah, I mean the 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 what about battleism is I think simply a a scorecard exercise. So you know we're not about scorecard right. exercises here. We're um we're just trying to you know stick to principles and and sort of highlight where we're seeing those um, successfully implemented and where we're not seeing them. So uh right. so I think actually this brings us to the next segment. Here we'll move into. Um, news of the day. And I think one area that we are continuing to see um, something that you actually would like to take issue with is in uh, the sort of this post Soleimani strike um, coverage. Uh, what have you seen that's kind of like made you say, Mm, I'm not sure that's the right way to handle handle these things or handle this discussion. Yeah, it's you know here's one thing that might make some of our conservative listeners or listeners a little bit more happy is the there has been in my view a, a certain degree of media bias when it comes to reporting on Soleimani and and the aftermath and things that have happened in Iran since, including the shooting you know the shooting down of a um, Ukrainian passenger jet by somebody in Iran. With a surface-to-air missile, there's. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the um, there's been a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives who said that the media are parroting Iranian talking points when speaking about Soleimani, speaking about Iran-U.S. relations. I, I think that's a little too far, but it's not too far off, um, in my opinion. Um, I think um, the media is glossed over this, and I think part of it is the Trump derangement syndrome that kind of plays into this. Um, you know, we saw people backtracking from calling Soleimani a terrorist and then backtracking from that and revising statements. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, when she even talked immediately that on Twitter that she that Soleimani was a bad person, she got jumped by by liberals and progressives. And she, you know, backtracked her statements a little bit um, and revised them. Um, I just think that's ridiculous. I, we should all be able to agree that Soleimani was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can definitely argue about the the way he was taken out and whether that was the right or wrong thing and that's fine that's fair game um but i think to for people to kind of go back and forth on whether or not he was a bad person is pretty stupid in my opinion and since then as as well we've seen uh after the ukrainian jet was shot down um we've seen protests in tehran against their own government that have all been downplayed um by the media to some extent and not given really uh, put front and center that there is this, there has been for years, this kind of under, under the surface, um, uh, movement and feeling by, or the Iranian people that they want some sort of change in their government. And it was really starting to bubble up with, uh, those protests. And I kind of feel like that was downplayed a lot. We really didn't hear a whole lot about those protests. Um, so I, what do you I, think, I, uh, yeah. What do you think? Why would they downplay it. I mean, because so one reason I asked that is because I know that Iran does a great job covering um, keeping their uh, state message um, undercover. And so like, I think if you remember, may recall, there were, there was a huge protest in Iran, maybe four or five months ago, mm-hmm. um, where it was quashed 
by the security services, right. including like people were killed. And the media, our media, being Western media, um, did not find out about it for weeks after. So I'm just wondering if there might be, um, if, you know, if there might be, this might be an instance where they are controlling kind of internet um, video footage, what gets out that might explain why we're not seeing as much about the protest as, as we could. It, I mean, and that could be valid, but there are still reporters that are uh, embedded in, in Tehran. They might not be from the United States, but uh, there are people on the ground who can report on these things and do report on these things. Um, you know, I just find, I find that a lot of media, for some reason, they want to downplay it by saying, you know, Trump's assassination of Soleimani began, began these chain of events where, you know, the Iranian government accidentally killed, you know, 170, however many people on the uh, Ukrainian jetliner. This, what's been going on between us and Iran has been going on for for 40 years, for over 40 years at this point. And it really has been a, a level of cold war between us and Iran. Um, what Trump did may have reignited, may have reinvigorated it, but it, but it, but our conflict with Iran has always been there. Um, and I kind of feel like the media has ignored that aspect of this whole thing. Um, did Trump escalate it in a way? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. That's fair. But at the end of the day, we've been at this with Iran for decades, and this is not really a new thing. Um, and I just kind of yeah. wish, uh, I, I, I wish, I wish the media I've would, rec that. I wish the media would recognize that this just didn't come out of nowhere. Honestly, at the end of the day, it, it's been happening. It's been festering for years. I, 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 I can understand that, that sort of argument. I, I do think also though, that this was a, a raising of the ante in the, in the back and forth. And, you know, maybe it needs to be contextualized a little bit better, but I think we are in a new, new phase of the confrontation sure. at this point. Um, and I think, I think another thing that, um, uh, you know, the, the, has explained perhaps media sort of focus on the actual event as opposed to contextualizing it is that the administration's story is shifting yeah. um, almost daily and they're not doing themselves any favors uh, in sort of giving the American people in Congress the full explanation for what happened. And as a result of that, there is pushback from media and Congress even as well to provide more explanation and context around why this happened. Um, you know, I, I think we were talking um, about kind of the justification they, they tried to use and they tried to use, they tried to claim that it was under the um, 2003 uh, authorization for right. Iraq yep. and, and um, Al Qaeda uh, to the, that was passed by Congress to conduct strikes, which is what the Obama administration conducted most of their strikes under. Um, right. And, but if it, if they can't explain the imminent sort of national security threat that um, they claim it was the case, uh, then it would have to fall under something else to be sort of justified um, legally. Uh, and at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a clear message on which one that, that it was. And that's, 
I think right. not doing themselves any favor and creating sort of more of a a media digging and effort to to sort of keep this conversation going. So I would just simply offer that as a counter for kind of the performance of the media with regards to Soleimani. Um, but yeah, that continues to unfold. I think, uh, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, and building kind of off of what you're saying too. I mean, clearly there are enough, there are Republican senators who are miffed by this as well. I mean, Mike Lee, a uh, Republican from Utah was totally angry, um, after the white house briefed, uh, the Senate, uh, on the Soleimani, um, uh, assassination. Um, he called, he basically called it unconstitutional, not the assassination itself, but their justification and trying to remove Congress from the process was unconstitutional. And it was an insult mm -hmm. to the hundred U S senators who, who were duly elected to their offices. So, you know, he, along with Rand Paul, who Rand Paul has been, you know, I think a very big cheerleader of, of the Trump administration in recent months, um, held a press conference talking about how disappointed they were and wanted to curb, uh, the war powers and the, and, you know, obviously, you know, we were talking about this before we started that now we're going to see a war powers resolution again, uh, and that we're going to have some Republicans cross over and join Democrats. And I think that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to have that check. Yep. The checks and balances between the executive and the legislative branch is very important. Mm -hmm. And, um, we'll see how that goes and what that vote's going to end up being. Yeah. It sounds like right now it'll at least be 51, 49, perhaps even, you know, once I think maybe once that dam has been broken, some other Republicans may even vote for it. Um, but yeah, I think it is a, it is a, it's the resolution is ultimately, um, powerless, but it's also, it is symbolic and that has some, some, uh, importance as well. So yeah, um, something to follow, uh, in the next couple of days as well. Um, yeah, real quickly with, um, the other news of the day is, you know, as we're talking right now, neither of us are watching it, but there is a, a democratic debate, <laughs> democratic debate going on. I think there were, Oh, there is. Yeah. Ugh. I think there were six or seven, um, oh, man. uh, nominees, um, on the, on the stage tonight. Uh, do you, do you have any, any thoughts on, on sort of where the race is at the moment? Um, you know, if you had to, if you had to handicap it at the moment, would you, I don't like to play the, the horse race game, but you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on where you see the yeah. democratic field at the moment? Well, I think it's the thing that is most interesting at this point is the amount of ad buys that we've seen from the two billionaires on the democratic side. Uh -huh. So, uh, Michael Bloomberg has already surpassed $200 million in ad buys and <laughs> he's funded that all himself. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Steyer is right behind him. I think Tom Steyer is like around like 140 or 150 million dollars in ad buys, and everybody else is like under 30 million. Right. Um, and uh, I'm I'd like everybody else. I'm talking about like the 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 bigger fund fundraisers like Biden, yeah, Biden, Sanders, Bernie. Buttigieg, yeah, yeah, those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see. I don't, I, I don't know what's going to happen in Iowa. Um, I know Bernie's been surging lately, and uh, Elizabeth Warren has been kind of dropping in the polls she came out today a big bombshell or she didn't it came out today a big bombshell that um apparently in some secret conversation between warren and sanders in december of 2018 bernie sanders told warren that a woman couldn't possibly win or couldn't win the nomination um, right. of course of course bernie's denying he ever said that but you know i think we're seeing some gamesmanship between the two leading progressives in the race now between you know warren and sanders um you know yeah. 
War, Bernie's even saying now, of course, I, I would never say that because Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by three million votes. Um, and the so that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's true. That. Yeah. Um, so you know, I don't know if he said it. I, I he there's some, supposedly there's a history of him having these sort of anti-feminist and you know sort of you know he's not really you know he's kind of a chauvinist in ways, but. You know, uh-huh. that's neither here nor there. We'll see how this all goes down. I think Biden is obviously still maintaining his hold on uh, the African-American vote. Um, right. And we'll see how that goes. Buttigieg was doing very well in Iowa. Um, so I think this is the, this is the last debate. He's doing well in New Hampshire. He's doing well in New Hampshire. I think it's really up for it's up yeah. for grabs. It's up for anybody at this point. Yeah. Um, I think among those yeah. top four, um, Bernie, yeah. uh, Biden, Buttigieg and Warren, um, I think yeah. Mike Bloomberg's. Uh, strategy is beyond New Hampshire and Iowa. I think he's looking more right. South Carolina and beyond a Super Tuesday. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, that's interesting. You know, the big news too is that Booker dropped out. Um, yeah, so he could. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, he said he said he's doing it so he can focus on his reelection in the U.S. Senate. I'm sure. Um, if that's what makes you feel better at night, uh, Corey. But well, um, I, I think I, I think one thing that is interesting about 2018 or, or I'm sorry, 2020 versus 2016 is. Um, you've seen the field drop to basically six, seven mm-hmm. by Iowa. Whereas mm-hmm. I think if I recall correctly in 2016, the Republican field was still like 12 yeah, I think that's in right. Iowa and, you know, still very fractured. And a lot of people think that was because it stayed fractured so long that allowed Trump to gain kind of that momentum and, and and keep keep getting his thirty percent or whatever he was getting, and mm-hmm. then ultimately secure the nomination. Whereas I think some of these Democrats who've dropped out, Harris, Booker, you know, they they probably could have stayed in longer, but to what end, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you know, if if they get out now, they can go, they can um, work work, they can deal with the impeachment trial that's happening, they can kind of stump for whoever they choose. And maybe have more of an impact and also kind of really help get the best candidate yeah. sort of um, nominated. So yeah. I think um, that's interesting. I am looking forward to the Super Bowl where uh, Donald Trump and Michael Bloomberg will have dueling 60 second ads that they purchased during the Super oh, Bowl really? for, for $10 million each. Um, so are they going to have like flying cats with lasers <laughs> and like, you know, Bud Light? Or Bud Light frogs or Budweiser horses in it. They know, just for, they just better be awesome uh, commercials. They just really I mean, they really got to be good ads. They're going to be so boring. It's going to yeah. be awesome. Um, wow, I didn't know that. Huh. Yep. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's a it's really like a four person race at this point, right? Um, yeah. I think. Well, and, and I think if you, and I think I agree with you. You know, Bloomberg is he's like there just in case. Bernie or Elizabeth Warren are kind of take, taking the lead mm-hmm. and he can be like, well, I can still run and, you know, I can offer the alternative to the people who don't want to vote for, for, um, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders and, and I yeah. can still secure the nomina- nomination. So i we, we've never, I, we've never seen anything like that happen before. So that yeah. would be crazy to see if it happens. Yeah. I'd still like to see a good showing from, from Andrew Yang. Um, and I know, People are kind of watching to see what happens with Amy Klobuchar and Tulsi Gabbard uh, in the next few weeks. Um, I'm sure one of those three will probably end up dropping out, if not more than that. Um, but, you yeah. know, 
I think Andrew Yang brings a good energy to the debate stage. I can't remember if he made tonight's debate. I think he did. Um, I know Tulsi did not make tonight's debate, but, um, and obviously Bloomberg didn't either, but, um, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the next couple weeks. It's going to be, I was going to be interesting. It's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Yang made the debate. Um, I was just okay. trying to look. Yeah. But, I couldn't remember. Um, yeah. So, um, well, well, yeah, I'll read about the debate tomorrow. I will. I have not yet mm-hmm. to watch it. I have yet to watch a debate and, um, I'm not going to start tonight. So, <laughs> uh, um, maybe once we get to the debates with, with, uh, Trump, if they actually happen, I'll, I'll pay attention, but uh, if they then, happen, if they happen. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So that's the news of the day. There's plenty of other stuff going on, but, um, we just wanted to quickly touch on, on those two topics. Um, yep. so the issue or the topic of the week, um, take us there, take us there. So kind of um related to the Soleimani thing um mm-hmm. you know yeah. in that in that it, it is a, a a topic that is affected by the the mm-hmm. the departure of of Soleimani um is the subject of Israel and yes we're going there um Israel is a very polarizing topic in itself um, I think we don't want to really uh, focus on kind of the, the tactics of Israel but and kind of how America responds to them, but maybe take a, a picture of Israel and, and look at it from, um, you know, how does it fit into American interest? Uh, so I, I think what I would like to tell people is that um, – you know, this is obviously a very sens- sensitive subject. Uh, when you start talking about Israel, you can get accused of a lot of things. Um, neither you nor I um, are anti-Semites. Um, I'm actually <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 state that from the outset. Yeah, good call. <laughs> I'm actually um, married to a, my wife is is Jewish, and as a result, my kids are Jewish. Um, I have spent two years working uh, for the government in the embassy in Tel Aviv and lived there and think it's a, a wonderful country. Um, it, it, it offers a lot to the world, you know, it's startup nation, um, uh, some, some of the world's best universities, um, great companies, uh, great culture and food. Um, so, you know, we're definitely, uh, I, I mean, I'm definitely, um, a fan of a lot of what Israel offers. Uh, but I think at the same time, um, to be able to be a good ally, you have to be able to be criticized as well. So I think any criticisms we offer are not, um, rooted in some anti-Semitism, but, um, rather just kind of how they potentially are negative for America and sort of our strategic interest in, in the region. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think one thing I wanted to kind of start off with is like, why do we support Israel? Like, you know, what, do, why, what, what is the reason it's good for America to support Israel? I'm putting you on I the mean, spot. No, that's fine. I mean, I can, I just can remember from speech writing and talking points that we used to provide our bosses on Capitol Hill was 
um, Israel is a democracy in the Middle East where mm-hmm. none, no other exists. Um, yeah. Strategically, they are very important to everything that we do in terms of defending uh, our borders uh, because they obviously allow us to have airspace. They allow us to our, our Navy to be close by. And, um, you know, I think those are really kind of the big things. And, uh, you know, you can't ignore uh, the sizable Jewish population that resides in the United right. States. Uh, in very very important states like New York and Florida, um, yeah. being two of there's them. There's a lot of Americans so, who live in Israel too. A lot of a lot of Americans people. live in Israel. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of Americans that live in the United States that have family that have either moved or live or you know always lived in Israel. Right. Um, but I really think the biggest one is that it's a democracy in the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. And you know there has been for years, uh, maybe not recently, but definitely in the early 2000s where. You know, you know, the United States wasn't necessarily policy, I think, until until Iraq, but to want to bring democracy to some of these Middle Eastern countries where they had been living under the rule of dictators. Um, so Israel served as some sort of like beacon uh, for that, some sort of, you know, example, shining example for, for the mm-hmm. Middle Eastern countries, ignoring the fact that, uh, you know, Muslims don't really like Jews and vice versa. And right. Uh, animosity between the two that have existed for centuries. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a slice of, you know, kind of democracy and, and Western intellectualism in, in yeah. you know, a region in progress. That, um, well, yes, yes. And I think that's a, t- that's a touchy, you know, sort of thing to say, but I will say that having lived in Israel, you can literally, there's areas by the Red Sea, um, where, uh, it's vacation. You can vacation on the Israeli side or the Jordan side. Um, and literally when you, you, you're on the Israeli side, you see, um, built, built up, uh, you know, modern buildings and restaurants and, and great infrastructure. And you literally cross the border and there's roads that are unfinished and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nice hotels, but as soon as you leave the hotels, it's kind of like third worldish. Um, and so you, I mean, you can, you can, the, the difference in sort of culture and, and modernity you, is manifested right there in front of your eyes. Like right. it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it was really striking to me. So, yeah, I mean, I think progress is, is, is something that a lot of, a lot of people might say, oh, well, you know, well, there's a reason that the other countries aren't progressing is because they've been held back. But, you know, I think. You can, for what, it, for whatever reason, factually, you look and and one side is progressing and one side is not. There may be a lot of reasons sure. why, um, but personally, um, you know, I after I didn't know a ton about Israel before I, I lived there. Um, I had worked kind of on regional arms issues, so that they were involved in, and so I kind of knew some of the background. But um, having lived there. The, and I, I kind of touched on this at the beginning. It, it's it's a wonderful country. Like it's it's got beautiful landscapes. It's got great food. Um, people are very ambitious um, and and thriving. Um, and you 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 see you know that what this what the potential of that region could be and. Um, 
And, and so like, I definitely support Israel. Um, that said, I think they can be their own worst enemy at times. And, and this gets to kind of the, the larger picture of what I want to, we want to talk about is like, you can be pro Israel and still criticize them. Right. Because, um, because when they do things like have, um, disproportionate responses to, um, attacks from, uh, Gaza or from the West Bank, Mm -hmm. uh, I would argue that, you know, they are, um, maybe short term and tactically enabling their, their, their country, but long term, they're doing harm to, um, to themselves and their future. And so yeah. I think one thing we in America don't necessarily have an honest conversation about is sort of strategically um, what is Israel, uh, you know, what are, what are they, where are they going long, long run? Um, yeah. And, and when we don't have that honest conversation, I think in the end, we hurt ourselves because we are seen as as backing um, a, a country that is engaging in sort of um, perhaps uh, destructive activities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of it too gets conflated by a lot of the stuff we've seen recently here with the rise of uh, of hate crimes and anti semitism. Um, the, the attack on the kosher, the kosher grocery store, mm-hmm. um, in, in New York and, and the multiple stories that I've seen, um, over several months where a lot of Hasidic Jews have been attacked in, in, uh, in Brooklyn of all places, um, and areas around New York. Um, so there is a rise in antisemitism. I think people automatically, there are people who want to rally behind the Jewish community and that somehow translates to additional support for Israel. Yeah. And they're um, not like you same. said, but they're not the same. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think, you know, I was telling you before I, I was reading up a little bit and real and found out that we don't have a formal treaty defense treaty with Israel. It's more of like, you know, an informal partnership, um, which I mm-hmm. found really fascinating. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's always, I remember my early days on the Hill, I worked for an armed services member from the Senate uh, and, you know, a lot of it was, there was a lot of uh, of suicide bombers going into you know various public yeah. places all throughout yeah. Israel mm-hmm. and Intifada two or whatever. Y- y- yeah. yeah, and this was all in two thousand. This was before September eleventh. This was in you know late two thousand, early two thousand one. Um, and we, I remember hearing that you know President Bush was having a talk. You know, it was Netanyahu at the at that time, I believe, um, and talking them off the ledge of basically going not nuclear but going just absolutely medieval on the palestinians Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so you know there i feel like there was a time there there was a time not too you know not too far off in the in the past that we did serve as sort of a check on on israel and their response to yes whatever palestine was doing and i it's and i feel like a little bit of that has gone away in in recent years um, yeah. And I'm really, really interested to learn and get more educated on why that is. Um, 
but also on the flip side too, from the congressional standpoint, it doesn't help when you have members of more specific, you know, I'm thinking more of the house talking about the, the, uh, BDS boycott divestment sanctions movement, um, mm-hmm. and how that's gaining, gaining traction. I don't think that is an answer to, um, to sort of counterbalance, uh, us Israel, Israeli, uh, uh, relations. No, um, and we have we have the power of the purse, right? With Israel, like right, we, right. we you know, so like why we don't even need to engage in that. If we want to make changes, we can we can have that conversation with them, and yeah. and 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 you know, not sell them um, the air aircraft or the weaponry, um, or give yeah. them the money for it. Whatever they, I don't know. If we, I think we actually just give them money, and they're expected to buy um, a certain amount of our weaponry from it. But, um, you know, I, I think it's difficult because I, one thing I always like to say to people who are really anti-Israel is like, they, they have an existential threat on every, from every side, except for the Mediterranean side, um, where the sad Hamas, uh, seals try to infiltrate and then they just get blasted pretty quickly. Um, but, um, you should, if you ever, if you ever want to see a good video, just Google that and you can, YouTube probably has it. Um, this, this Hamas seal trying to, to, to infiltrate during one of the wars. Um, but I'm on it. Ima- imagine, imagine if we were daily taking missile or rocket fire yeah. from Mexico or Canada. I mean, hell, in, we, we had the, the 9-11, which killed 3,000 people, which is a comparatively to, you know, our population is, is a very small amount of people. We started two wars that have lasted 20 years as a result of that. So like, yeah. you know, I think it's hard for people to contextualize what the Israeli population goes through on a daily yeah. basis. I think at the same time, that doesn't give them um, uh, agency to go out and expand their settlements in undemocratic fashion, you know, and, and basically expand their reach of a people, and, oh, um, sorry, um, over a people, um, kind of in a unrepresentative way, or you know, th- they're increasingly kind of engaging in undemocratic measures. Which, you know, as we stated at the beginning, one of the reasons we're uh, primarily behind them is because they are a democratic society in yeah in the the um, Middle East, and I think. One thing I've noticed over the last 10, 15 years is that Israel is, compl- is com- uh, pushing towards a choice where they either need, will become a Jewish state, which by nature, if they have, um, uh, you know, Arab and Muslim, um, uh, oh, Arab Muslims, I should say, because there are Arab Christians and Arab Jews as well, um, within that would not be afforded the same status as the Jewish citizens, or they can be a, a democratic state where everyone has equal rights and equal representation. Um, yeah. You know, the fear with Israel is a lot of Israelis there is that, you know, that eventually um, the Arab population will be equal or grow or greater than the, the Jewish population and that, um, you know, they will lose their state. So, you know, I, I understand sort of the the concerns there, but it doesn't, if the goal is democracy, um, we have to be able to criticize them when they when they 
engage in activities that are undemocratic. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. Um, so, you know, I think one way we can do that is, is, um, you know, through congressional, uh, ac action. I mean, I, I don't know, um, your experience with the Israel issue, um, in Congress. Uh, I, I told you I was going to say this joke beforehand. Um, but you know, the, um, uh, the, I, the joke is, is, you know, why does Israel not want to become the 51st state of America? Uh, and the answer is, is because they would lose a hundred senators, um, you know, and, and only have two. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. it, um, you know, I think we almost to a fault fall in line behind Israel and their lobby and their government manipulates our politicians into uh, potentially more support than we we potentially should give them at certain times. Um, I don't know if you and, ever and they, saw instances of that while you're on the Hill or whatever, but that's kind of what I've noticed. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they have uh, they do have a very strong lobby, legitimate lobby effort on the Hill and even in the states. So APAC, the American Israeli Political mm -hmm. Action Committee, they have a team of lobbyists. Uh, they employ contract lobbyists as well. And like any corporation would or any uh, or any interest group would. Uh, and they hit the hill and they do they do this. They do their thing and they lobby senators. They lobby members of the Foreign Relations Committee, members of the Armed Services Committee. Uh, in both the House and the Senate. And then they even have state-based lobbyists too, um, as well. Uh, and they do it on a whole a whole host of issues. Um, you know, so I think one way that Congress, you know, it, I'm not saying we should be restricting what Israel does. Israel is a sovereign state. They can do what they want to do. But um, when I found out that there's no formal defense treaty between the United States and Israel, you know, you think about who does that benefit more? It certainly benefits mm -hmm. Israel more to not have a treaty, not have to live up to or, or abide by some, you know, a checklist of things standards. before they, before they, yeah, standards before they receive any type of, you know, financial compensation from that, you know, from that treaty. Mm -hmm. um, so perhaps that's something that needs to, needs to change. Um, maybe it doesn't. I'm not a, I'm not an, a U.S. Israeli you know, foreign policy expert. I don't know what the ramifications of such policy would be, but, you know, just a, a layman who, you know, looking at it, you know, from 50,000 feet is, I wonder why, why the hell not? And I know it's been tried before. I know president Clinton tried to do things with the camp at camp David, um, before he left office. And that was really his big thing. You know, apparently Jared Kushner is going to save us uh, or save the middle East in the Trump administration right. at some point. Um, right. so maybe something can be done, but, the way Israel has been handling things in the Middle East, especially in the recent years, uh, and with you know a president in the United States who sort of ignores what's going on, yeah. that's a little that's a little troubling. And I'm not like right. I said, Israel is a sovereign state; they can do what they want. But the United States does have strategic interests in the Middle East that are put uh, at risk when there's not a level of balance uh, in that yeah. region. And right now there's not a level of balance. And obviously with uh, the action taken on Soleimani, uh, that puts not only U.S. interests at risk, it puts Israel at risk. But when Israel mm -hmm. overreacts to a, you know, a threat from 
Palestine or from another Middle Eastern country, uh, you know, Iran wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Um, you know, obviously that puts more, th- more uh, things at risk. So uh, the chain of events are just, the dominoes are going to keep falling at, at some point and it's going to end up going very poorly and we need to try and change the trajectory uh, as quickly as we can. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I think you mentioned the, the president sort of, um, kind of not pushing back or I think he, d- he just doesn't capture the nuance of, of kind of that, this relationship. And, and I think one thing Israel needs to be careful about is, is obviously Netanyahu knows how to how sort of push Trump's buttons in the right way. Um, yeah. To get him. They're very, him they're very similar men. That's why yeah. they, right. I, I feel like, I mean, I would say Netanyahu's probably smarter, but um, I think, you know, right. from a personality and an ego standpoint, I think they're very yes. similar men. Yeah, for sure. But I think one thing they have to be careful about is, is you know Israel has always been a, a, a bipartisan um, uh, issue. I mean, uh, sure. you know, bipartisan issue for America. And if they go too far, or you know, act in a certain way because Trump lets them, um, they risk it becoming a partisan issue in America. Yeah. And that ultimately is not is not to their advantage as well. So. Um, I think they have to be careful about that. Uh, so, um, I, you know, I think it's, it's hard to have a conversation about Israel without, um, you know, talking about, uh, one state, two state poly, you know, um, settlements and everything. I think what I just wanted to do was kind of talk about it in the greater strategic picture for America, um, kind of look, talk about some pros and cons and, yeah just not because everyone reflexively when the israel the issue of israel comes up like crouches and takes a side um yeah and and i think it's 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 a fascinating place um and i encourage everyone to go visit uh it's beautiful beautiful beaches you know you can eat great um i have some of the best meals i've ever had in my life in israel uh and tons of history you know, things, you know, you can see Syria, uh, which was cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, it, it's certainly, it's, it's something I continue to follow to this day. And, um, you know, they're in a similar position as we are, where, you know, sort of politically with, um, yeah. Netanyahu, what's going to happen to him. He's, yeah. he's, uh, been indicted. Um, and so that will be something to monitor. You know, I think the next uh, election may be coming up here in the next couple of months, a third yep. election. Um, so, again, part of the the all the fun stuff going on in 2020 in the new decade. So anything else? No, I think I mean, no. my my position on on Israel, I mean, I'll, I'll stand by it is I believe Israel has a right to exist. I believe they have a right to defend themselves. I believe that they should count on allies to help them defend themselves. But at the end of the day, the United States needs to be its own country and yes. needs to look out for its interests. I'm not saying that from a America first standpoint, the way that, uh, you know, the populace and, and sort of right. Donald Trump views foreign policy. Um, I was struck when I, I saw a clip of, of, of president Bush in 20, 
it might have been 2012 or 13. I, I, I got to see if I can dig it back up. But he was talking about this where the America First policies have never worked throughout throughout history. I mean, we tried to be America first on, you know, during World War II and ignoring everything that was happening in Europe when, you know, Europe matters. Europe still matters. You know, we can ignore what's going on in Israel and ha- and give them money to do whatever they need to do, but the Middle East matters. Um and that's why I, we can't be isolationists. We cannot it behooves us. It behooves right. us to be involved so we can have a say and manipulate not manipulate and and yeah. shape it to our yeah. and that's why i mean i just just don't think america first it shouldn't that shouldn't be a foreign policy slogan because it just doesn't it's not realistic well hopefully hopefully yeah. it won't be after hopefully. this year um cool well that was fun <laughs> um i think one last uh one last portion um that we're going to get back to after we skipped last yeah, last yeah, yeah. episode is the what what we're into i love what um, we're into so i will yeah so i feel i again I, I just feel like i feel like such a shill here but like you know is it disney plus like again free plugs to people is it disney What's plus that? again is it disney plus again <laughs> no it's um this this week um it, th- those well i should say you know what i'm into um besides the titans uh running to the oh almost God. to the super bowl making it to Amazing. the AFC championship last time we talked uh, they beat the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Now they beat the Ravens. Now they play the Chiefs um, to go to the Super Bowl. So I'm pretty excited about that. But for those of uh, you who know me, um, most people know I like to do a little sports gambling um, on the, on the side. You know, small amount here or there. Uh, and one of the things I'm into that I've discovered is uh, something called the Action App, the Action Ooh. Network. Do tell. And it's um. You know, with with the legalization of sports gambling kind of nationwide, uh, I guess it's not legal nationwide. It's just not illegal nationwide. Um, if, if, is that a correct way of saying it? Um, it's, yeah, it, it's up to the states to decide. Um, there is a company that's called the Action Network started with a guy from a guy who used to work at ESPN and cover sort Sorry, of ga- I'm having- Shut up, gambling Siri. from... Um, sorry, my watch just went off. <laughs> um, for for ESPN, and it uh, gives you all the latest lines. Um, it gives you line movements. It gives you trends. Ooh. Who, where the money's coming in on? Um, you know where the sharp betters, which are is the slang term for like sort of the professional betters, who they're betting. It's just a really fun sort of way to add to the entertainment value of your sports bet. So, you know, you can, um, (laughs) (laughs) you can get all sorts of information about games. You get weather, kind of anything to inform your, 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 your sports betting, um, side habit, I will propose. Uh, so yeah, um, check it out. It's really fun. Um, I think there, I have a subscription to it. I got it at a discount, but there's a free version too. Um, and for any of those people who, any of those people out there who like to put a little action on a game, just now to make the games again, a little bit more interesting. Um, that's what I'm into. <laughs> yes. As I explained to you today about the national, ch- national championship game, um, you know, that last quarter wouldn't have been very interesting if I didn't have the under last night. Um, but as a result, it was so, you know, 
a plug for sports gambling and a plug for the action network app. Um, that's awesome. That's I'm going to check that website out. What about you? Um, it's funny cause I'm, I'm going to be going the gaming route as well. Um, as, as you know, oh, and, and many okay. of my friends know, uh, I am an avid, uh, poker player. I really enjoy playing poker. Um, so right. I've been trying to, you know, I, it's funny. I, when I first started playing poker, it was all cash games because that's what I was used to. And then I was like, well, I'll do tournaments. And I shifted over to tournaments and tournaments were great and I was enjoying it. But then I lost how to play cash because there is a difference between the two and your strategy on how you play cash versus tournament games and poker. Um, so I, you know, months ago I bought a, I bought a book, um, mm-hmm. uh, from Dan Harrington, who is a professional poker player. Um, I bought his book on tournament to play his tournament play uh, book is in, I think it's in like three or four different parts, but, uh, he breaks down strategy, uh, when to three bets, when to, you know, raise, you know, how big con- is your continuation, but all that stuff. Well, he, he also wrote a book. He also wrote a book on cash games. So Harrington on cash games, how to win at no limit hold'em money games. Um, I purchased the book just cause I, my strategy was, was sucking the last couple of times I was in Vegas or, you know, at one of the local casinos, poker rooms playing and I was losing and I was just getting my, my ass kicked. Um, so clearly I was trying to, imp- has it helped? Yeah. Cause I mean, I was trying to employ, I was trying to employ a, the tournament strategy in a cash game and that just doesn't work. Um, huh. so, um, if I knew anything about uh, poker, I would think that was brilliant, yeah. but, uh, I don't. So. Well. You should um, buy this book. I'm glad to hear it's working out you for you. You should buy this book. It's on Amazon, yeah. like every other book in the world. Um, Dan Harrington, it's a yeah. great, he, he, it's easy to understand. He gives you kind of the fundamentals. He, he breaks down hands for you. He'll give you, um, uh, put, give you scenarios where, you know, you're playing, you know, against four other players, the board reads whatever, and then you're holding whatever you're holding. Uh-huh. So it's kind of cool. And how you, how much you should bet when, what you should do and what the situation is like, if you should fold all that. So Harrington on cash games, check it out, everybody enjoy it. Great. Um, well that wraps up another episode yeah. ba- based on, based on those things. I think, uh, I think we need to go to the casino. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Um, take us out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining this edition of the Politics and Bros podcast, episode seven. Follow us on Twitter at, at Bros Politics. Uh, and any other feed, any uh, any other feedback you might have, you can you know if you you can DM us too on on our Twitter page as well. we'll we can respond there. Yeah, and make sure to subscribe to our channel on Apple Podcasts. All right, thanks. All right, Pete. man. Have a good night, buddy. Talk to you later. You too. Bye. Bye.